You are listening to the Parkview Church Podcast. To learn more about Parkview Church, including our gathering times in Palm Coast, Florida, visit us online at parkviewlife.com. If you take your Bible and go to 2 Samuel chapter number 13 today, 2 Samuel chapter number 13, and uh, what a joy it's been to be in this series entitled Triggered, and uh, man, my if you missed last week um, for Mother's Day weekend, I just you know already adore and admire my wife so much, but she just did an outstanding job helping me uh, communicate last weekend. In fact, one of my dear friends said to me on the way out, he said, uh, Pastor, he said, I've never seen you be out preach like that before. And uh, I, I agree that uh, she did an amazing job sharing her heart. And uh, so it's been a tremendous series. And I'm almost kind of sad to come to the end of it. Because I feel like the Lord has really been growing us. And based on your response, you know, we're, we're acknowledging there are things that definitely trigger us, that set us off, that cause us to overreact. And we've been looking at those things that cause us to overreact. And then what do we, what do, we do about it? And uh, this weekend, we'll, we'll wrap up the series. And if I were to kind of summarize in a, in a sentence where we're going today, I would say it this way, and you'll see it play out in the pages of Scripture. When unhealthy feelings are left unchecked, they often lead to uncontrollable actions and unrealized dreams. When unhealthy feelings are left unchecked, they often lead to uncontrollable actions and unrealized dreams. Triggers are born in unhealthy feelings. And if those unhealthy feelings are not checked, well, we know this, unhealthy things left unchecked never produce a healthy outcome. We're going to look at a guy who had some unhealthy feelings. Those unhealthy feelings were not checked. They were left unchecked. And you'll see very clearly in the pages of Scripture uncontrollable actions and uh, unrealized dreams if we were to kind of narrow down what triggered him and what were his triggers what was at the heart uh, and at the core of those triggers i would say two things kind of rise to the surface in his life uh hatred and jealousy this man that we're going to look at today is the third son of israel's greatest king King David's third son, a man by the name of Absalom. The first event that is life-defining and recorded in Scripture in regards to Absalom is that his sister Tamar, who was beautiful, in fact, Absalom, if he were alive today, could be on the cover of GQ. That's what Scripture tells us, like, Absalom was like the best looking guy in the kingdom his sister was a a a girl by the name a young lady by the name of Tamar Absalom's first kind of event on the pages of scripture is he has a half-brother by the name of Amnon Amnon is obsessed with Tamar he pushes himself on his half-sister in inappropriate ways He is ravished by her beauty. And in an unhealthy way, those feelings towards his sister Tamar are left unchecked. And he, 
it's an uncontrollable action he deceives Tamar gets her to the house and while he's at while she's at the house he rapes his sister I don't know if it was straight up shame or guilt or what was behind this but as soon as he rapes her like he like casts her out of the house like get out of here and that's where Absalom steps in Absalom takes Tamar into his house he cares for her for the next two years well let's pick up the story in 2nd Samuel chapter 13 and beginning in verse number 20 it says and her brother Absalom said to her has Amnon your brother been with you now hold your peace my sister he is your brother do not take this to heart so Tamar lived the desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house when King David heard of all these things he was very angry but Absalom spoke to Amnon neither good nor bad for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar after two full years Absalom had sheep shears at Baal Hazor which is near Ephraim and Absalom invited all the king's sons and Absalom came to the king and said behold your servant has sheep shears please let the servant or the king and his servants go with your servant but king david said to his son absalom no my son let us not all go lest we be burdensome to you he pressed him but he would not go but he gave him his blessing then absalom said if not please let my brother amnon go with us and the king said to him why should he go with you but absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants, Mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear. I have commanded you, be courageous and be valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose and each mounted his mule and fled when absalom heard that amnon had raped tamar absalom took tamar in but while he took care of her he did not take care of himself and what we see is that for the next two years absalom would nurse hatred when he should have nixed it he nursed it instead of killing it he kept it now can you imagine if you hated somebody every day for two solid years can you imagine what that hatred would do to your soul that's why i'm always greatly concerned when people tell me things like pastor i hate my job pastor i hate my boss pastor i hate my co-workers pastor i hate my marriage pastor i hate my life friend if we nurse hatred if we keep that hatred that will when left unchecked produce a very unhealthy outcome and by the way it's not just if you nurse hatred but what if you nurse uh, anxiety or you nurse isolation or you nurse pride or you nurse depression or you nurse fear like for example if i just every day 
decide that rather than Nick's fear, I'm going to nurse it. Rather than kill the fear that wants to rise up within me, I I keep that fear. And if I hang on worrying about everything and being afraid of everything and just kind of living in fear, friend, that's going to lead to a very healthy outcome. So we have to make sure that these unhealthy feelings don't live within us unchecked. Absalom ends up using his own scheme to deceive Amnon as Amnon had deceived Tamar. Absalom invited Amnon to his house for a party and during the festivities with all the sons of King David present, once Amnon got a little beyond the tipping point, Absalom commanded his servants to kill Amnon in cold blood. Absalom is a murderer and he murders his brother Amnon. Hate is perhaps the most destructive force in human history. Hate, left unchecked, leads to uncontrollable actions. Harry Emerson Fosdick put it appropriately, hating people is like burning down your house to get rid of a rat. It just does so much damage to you. On a theological level, one author said this, too many Christians become bitter and angry in the conflict. If we descend into hatefulness, we have already lost the battle. We must cooperate with God in turning what was meant for evil into a greater good within us. This is why we bless those who would curse us. It is not only for their sakes, but to persevere our own soul or to preserve our own soul from its natural response get this this is not just for their good it's for our good to preserve our own soul from its natural response towards hatred proverbs chapter 10 and verse number 12 tells us that hatred stirs up strife but love covers all offenses a verse I've always tried to wrap my mind around, and I'm still not sure I get it totally, but 1 John 4 and 20 says, if anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So this story, the plot continues to thicken. The hatred has so just eaten the soul of Absalom And now, kind of in fear for his own life, not knowing how his king father would respond, Absalom flees to Geshur, and he would stay there for some three years. We pick up the story in chapter 13, verse 37 through 39. It says, But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amihud, king of Geshur. And David, get this, and David mourned for his son day after day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Amnon since he was dead. Some words in that portion of the text there that kind of strike me. David longed for his son day after day. He mourned for his son. He mourned that Absalom wasn't around him. He mourned for the relational separation. It it grieved him, and it says that he longed to go be with him. But you know what's interesting? He didn't go. There's nowhere in the pages of Scripture that 
in those three years of missing his son that he did anything to extend an olive branch, to reach out to him, to get a message to him. And to me, that just speaks to, well, actually speaks to one of the questions I get asked most as a pastor. Parents come to me probably more than any other single thing, and they say to me, Pastor, what do I do with my son or my daughter who doesn't want a relationship with me? What do I do with a son or daughter, Pastor, that's away from God, that is living out from under the ways that we raised him or her what do we do pastor when they've chosen a different uh, life that's against god that's against his truth that's against his word like they're living a life of rebellion we don't we don't agree with the way that they're living their life so what do we do and my answer is always the same and i say no matter what choices they make no matter how much rebellion is there against God, His Word, your authority, the ways you brought them up, no matter what kind of rebellion is there, do whatever you can to maintain the relationship. Because if you lose the relationship, you lose influence. Now I'm also reminded that the Apostle Paul said, as much as possible, be at peace with all men. Be at peace with all men as much as possible. Now, here's what's interesting about that verse. When he says as much as possible, what he's saying is sometimes it's not possible. Every weekend, I preach to parents and grandparents whose hearts are broken because for whatever reason right now, it's just not possible. Sadly, there are seasons where we are disengaged, where we are disconnected, where we are away and much like David's heart, we mourn for that. We long to go be with them. But sometimes it's just not possible. But I, my advice always is whenever possible, go to that son or that daughter to keep that relationship so that we have some influence. Let's continue on. Chapter 14, verses 28 through 33. Now, before we go any further, let me say this. David was a man of war david was a was a military genius he had led israel as a great military strategist he had led them victorious well really all the way back from his teen years wasn't it he who led them out from under the oppression of the philistines by taking down the giant from that day to this day J david is a great military leader at this season now he's got three generals under him one of them is joab who actually happens to be a relative of david and joab goes to geshur and gets absalom and brings him back home and when he brings him back to jerusalem absalom's not allowed to go to the king's palace he's told to stay in his own house and what's interesting while david longed for him i don't understand this while david longed for him for three years when he was in geisha when absalom brought him back to to jerusalem david wouldn't let him come to his house and it appears that for another two years he didn't see david now i don't know if it's because he murdered his other son i don't know what what the conflict is i'm not really sure but um joab brings him back uh, to Jerusalem finally gets David together with his uh, son after two years what kind of interesting story actually look uh, chapter 14 verse 28 through 33 so Absalom lived two full years in Jerusalem without coming into the king's presence 
Five years. Then Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king. So get this. Absalom says, Joab, I, I want to go to the king. But Joab, he sends word to Joab, but Joab would not come to him. So Absalom sent a second time, but Joab would not come. Then Absalom said to his servants, See, Joab's field is next to mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. So Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and went to Absalom's house and said to him, What in the world are you doing? And Absalom says, I sent for you two times. If you're not going to come, I'm going to burn your field down. I want to see my dad. I don't know what's going on. I was in Geisha for three years. I've been here two years. I've not been allowed to his house. I want to see my father. Verse 32, And Absalom said to Joab, Behold, I sent word to you. Come here that I may seek you. Send you to the king to ask, Why have I come from Geshur? It would have been better for me to still be there. Now therefore, let me go into the presence of the king, and if there is guilt in me, let him put me to death. Now that's strong words. It, it, what, what Absalom's saying is, I'd rather die than be kept from my father's presence. I need to know that my father approves of me. I need to know my father is okay with me. I know, need to know that my father has forgiven me. I need to know that my father accepts me. I just, I'd rather him just kill me if he's just going to push me and punish me like this. Verse 33, then Joab went to the king and told him, and he summoned Absalom. So he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. Now, unfortunately, the peace doesn't last very long. In fact, Absalom, he's just nursed so hatred for long in this family. And by the way, you think your family's dysfunctional. I mean, do you, have you had enough today? I mean, like, okay, so one son rapes another daughter, the other son murders that one, the father's estranged from the son, he burns down a field to get back into his father's presence, then, then they, they, they kiss each other and kind of make up, but that's like really short-lived. And then apparently this hatred still festering, now maybe throw a little bit of jealousy on top of it, and, and in a very cunning and crafty and conniving way, Absalom starts to undermine his father's leadership. He begins to stealthily undermine David's rule. And so he sets himself up as a judge in Jerusalem, and he promises things to the people that he would do if he were king. Pick it up in chapter 15, verses 2 through 6. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And when he would say, Your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there's no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him, and then he would kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Day after day after day, he shows up at the palace where he's not welcome, and he says to all those coming with a with a disagreement, with a challenge, with a claim. And he's like, hey, there's nobody going to help you inside, but if I were the one in charge, I would help you all the time. 
because you're right in the way that you feel about this after four years of this kind of deception and undermining after four years absalom goes to hebron when he gets to hebron he secretly arranges to have himself proclaimed king in hebron so he's been manipulating people forming alliances pulling allegiances away from king david and uh, the conspiracy strengthens he gets to hebron he secretly arranges to have himself proclaimed king and then a number of absalom's followers the number continues to grow steadily so much so that his father king david eventually began to fear for his life and out of fear for his own life david gathered his servants together and he fled the city of jerusalem because he's heard that there's a coup that's coming his way now david in his departure chooses to leave behind all of his concubines he leaves behind two priests abiathar and ithar and then he leaves behind one of his most trusted counselors a man by the name of hushai absalom then returns to jerusalem he self-appointed himself as king in hebron he gets the people to sing his praises when he gets to Jerusalem because his father has left. And upon entering Jerusalem as king, Absalom seeks to solidify his position. And the first thing that he does is he takes over David's house and his first act of great treason, an act that would be unforgivable in the time is when he goes to David's house, he sleeps with every one of his concubines. An unforgivable act. Then he lays out plans to immediately pursue and attack david's forces but david's trusted advisor hushai has also found favor with absalom and so absalom goes to hushai and he says hey i'm going to go out and i'm going to pursue my father and his armies and i'm going to overtake them and i'm going to set myself up as king and hushai what do you think about that and hushai says that'd be the most foolish thing you've ever done in your entire life you know your father is a man of war you will never defeat him i would not go out after your father and absalom delays just long enough that david is able to gather an army and he is able to set up a counterattack to counterattack the coup he's about ready to go out with his military army when his generals say to david listen we will go and we will fight the battle and we'll push and drive absalom and his forces back out of jerusalem we'll retake the kingdom for you but you can't go with us so what does david say to that second samuel chapter 18 and verse number five and the king ordered joab abishai and ittai those are the those are the generals and the king ordered joab abishai and ittai deal gently for my sake with the young man absalom Hmm. after all this deal gently with the young man absalom now notice these words and all the people heard when the king gave those orders to all the commanders about absalom so he gives explicit instructions to his generals to deal gently with absalom in spite of his treason now what so david stays behind he gives the order they go and um just like a couple weeks ago in the story of balaam where god would use a jackass to to bring forth what he wanted in this story god's about to use another animal absalom is out fighting with his with his forces going up against uh david's army as they try and retake jerusalem and uh he's riding a horse 
and while riding a horse that must have been densely treed, somehow Absalom, his hair ends up tangled in the tree, and while his hair is tangled in the tree, Absalom gets unhorsed. And now he's just dangling from the tree, the horse is gone, and Joab, the general, sees Absalom, and he knows that David has said, deal gently with him, but in that moment, Joab revenges for David, and he goes and he kills Absalom. Unhealthy feelings left unchecked lead to out-of-controlled actions and unrealized dreams. Let me bring not just this message to a close, but let me bring the entire series to a close. What I'm about to share with you, I believe, is the most important thing that I will say in this entire series. And I want you to listen as closely as you possibly can. The reason that what I'm about to say is so important is because I believe this is what makes all of our triggers redeemable and resurrectable. This is what makes all of our triggers able to be overcome and that through Jesus, everything is possible and anything is possible. Something very unique happens during this story towards the end of it. Let me share it with you. When Absalom has stole the hearts of many of the men and has setting, been setting up a coup, David gets word and he leaves Jerusalem. Now to give you some perspective of what was happening and kind of the setting, Jerusalem in David's time was not the size that Jerusalem is today. If you were to go to the large city of Jerusalem today, it would be, well, let me give you some sense of the size of Jerusalem. If you were to go to Palm Coast Parkway and put your back southward, and you were to point your right arm east to I-95 and your left arm west to US-1, and then from Palm Coast Parkway, you would just kind of take I-95 and US-1, and rather than bring them to a point where they join up here north about eight miles or so, if you would just kind of keep it rectangular and, just, and then just kind of keep it kind of a perfect rectangle, that's about the size of Jerusalem today, about 70 square miles. So that's just a rough size of what it was today, what it is today. In David's time, what we would commonly refer to as the old city, the walled city. This is what it looked like in the time of Christ. You go back even into the Old Testament uh, when the city uh, was defeated and the walls were burnt down and the temple was destroyed and then Ezra goes back and rebuilds, Nehemiah goes back and rebuilds. What we would know as the old city, it's not 70 square miles. In the time of David, the old city would be the size of our campus and the park next door. That's it. One-third of one square mile. One-third of one square mile. David hears that they're coming, though, for him, and so he goes out the eastern gate. If we had time, we'd read through 2 Samuel where it tells us that he uh, descends down into the valley and then back up. See, the city, the old city, is elevated. Everything around it goes down before it goes back up. So David leaves out the eastern gate and he descends down uh, about three, probably, probably 300 feet in elevation. He crosses through the Kidron Valley, crosses the brook Kidron, Kidron, and then ascends back up and heads to the Mount of Olives. 
just to kind of give you some perspective of what this looks like today if you were to go to the old city walk out the eastern gate look across the kedron valley now remember you're up on the old city it goes down before it goes back up that 300 foot elevation descent and that 500 foot elevation rise it would be like walking from here to the episcopal church down and getting to the episcopal church and walking to Publix back up so david goes out of the eastern gate walks down the kedron valley and he walks across the brook kedron oh that's nasty that stinks it's filthy it's not a very big brook but it's just see there's a channel that goes from underneath the city out into the brook kedron that that's where they put all the leftovers of the sacrificed animals and so all that putridness just flows into the brook kedron it's a it's a dirty brook it's a it's a dark brook it's a it's a it's a smelly brook but the king crosses the brook kedron it's actually symbolic that brook is even to this day of grief and suffering what it reminds me is that even kings are not exempt from grief grief and suffering like why do we suffer why do we grieve it's not fair why do i have that experience no king is exempt december 18th 1972 a mom took her three children to go get a christmas tree all the kids were little she left while en route to get the Christmas tree. Her car was struck by another car. Her and the three children were immediately taken by ambulance to the local hospital. The mother, Nelia, and her little girl, Naomi, didn't make it. They died. The grieving father was left with two little boys to raise by himself. Suddenly and tragically, he found himself as a grieving widow, as a, a widower, as a grieving father, having lost his wife and his little girl. They say no parent should bury their children, but to imagine to, to add to the grief, he buried his wife. But it wouldn't be the only child that he would bury. Some 40 years later, as an adult, his, one of the two boys that was left the, at the age of 46 would uh, die of brain cancer he would bury that son too oh which by the way that son who died of brain cancer the other boy had an affair with that with his brother's wife like so you're telling me that the the mother died and the girl died and the father had two boys and then the other boy ended up dying as an adult and that other son had an affair with that boy's wife yeah and that that boy actually has caused his father more grief than we probably would ever know oh and by the way this is the story of the president of the united states of america joe biden not making a political statement all i'm saying is grief and suffering doesn't matter if you're a president doesn't matter if you're a king all people cross the brook of suffering and grief at some point and so David crosses the, the brook and he ascends up to the Mount of Olives. But what you know is, is that they end up defeating the coup and David comes back down off the Mount of Olives across the brook Kedron and he returns to Jerusalem as the king. 
he's reestablished this is the throne of david this is the city of david that's what we call it he gets back in power he gets back in authority friend here's what gives me chills Mm, david is a type of christ christ jesus left the upper room he goes out the eastern gate descends down the kidron valley crosses the brook of grief and suffering and goes back up just before the mount of olives would be the garden of gethsemane that's where jesus christ is betrayed he's betrayed in the garden people who were once with him had their hearts turned against him there there was one who was much evil and and much subtlety and, and, and much conniving and contriving who turns the hearts of many people against christ who was once the king considered to be over so many now the numbers had dwindled and he crosses the brook kidron he goes to the garden of gethsemane he is betrayed he then goes back down across the Kidron Valley across the uh, the brook Kidron and he goes to Golgotha and he dies upon the cross and he rises again the third day he's on this earth resurrected 40 days before he goes back to the Mount of Olives and he ascends back up into heaven but the Bible tells us in Acts 1 that this same Jesus which was taken up from you shall shall so come in like manner there will be a day that Christ Jesus will return to the Mount of Olives he will go down the Kidron Valley he will grow across the brook Kidron and he will ascend back up into Jerusalem why will he do that because he will sit on his throne and it will not be David's throne and it will not be the city of David but it will be the throne of Jesus Christ and it will be the city of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ will rule and reign forever from Jerusalem as King of Kings and Lord of Lords So how do we overcome all this brokenness? How do we work through all this dysfunction? How do we navigate all this pain? How about these things that just set us off? How can any of this be resurrectable? How can any of this be redeemable? I'm telling you through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, anything is possible, and everything is possible, and anything is possible, and this life of grief and suffering that we all cross one day will come to an end, and the suffering will turn to joy and our joy will come in the morning because we will return with Christ to Jerusalem and we will rule and reign for all of eternity. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. Do we go back and forth? What does that look like? I'm not here to give an end times eschatology. I'm just telling you right now that Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords. This story, as every story is in the Old Testament, this story specifically is not about David. It's not about Absalom. It's not about Amnon. It's not about Tamar. This story is about Jesus. And we not only see Jesus in the pages of the New Testament, we see Jesus on every page of the Old Testament. There are types, and there are shadows, and there are pictures, and there are illustrations, and they all say Jesus is coming again, and he will rule, and he will reign from Jerusalem. And I say with all of us together, even so come, Lord. Jesus and how how do we work through all this hurt and pain through the power of Jesus Christ we trust him king of kings and lord of lords soon and very soon let us pray
If you're here today and you have never trusted Christ Jesus as your king, you have never made him Lord of your life, right now in this moment I want to give you an opportunity to A, admit that you're a sinner, to B, believe that Christ died for your sin, and C, to call on him to be your savior. It would sound something like this, Jesus, thank you for loving me enough to come here so that ultimately you could pay my price on the cross you would shed your blood to forgive my sin you would give your life to pay for my debt you would rise again the third day conquering death and offering to me eternal life the very best that i know how jesus i admit i'm a sinner I believe that you died for my sin and I'm calling on you to be my savior, to be my king. Right now, Jesus, I trust you. Friend, that's what we call the prayer of faith. You don't have to have all the solutions to all your triggers. You don't have to be able to navigate, figure out, and solve all your dysfunction. You just bring that all that mess to Jesus. You bring that to him. You lay that at his feet. You ask him to forgive you of your sin. You ask him to be Lord of your life. And you ask him to be your leader, be your king. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I want to give you that prayer of faith again where you can admit you're a sinner, believe that Christ died, and call on him to be your Lord. In every service this weekend, we'll have people who come to faith in Christ. The number of people do that last night. But friend, right now, it's about right here, this moment. It's about where are you at in your faith. The Bible says, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is a day of salvation. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, my friend, why not right now? Say, Pastor, I'm willing to make that commitment. Pastor, I'm willing. I want that. I want Christ in my life. I want to ask Him to forgive me of my sins and be my Savior. Okay, then let me give you that prayer again. You're not praying it to me, to yourself, just in your heart. You're praying it to, to Christ king of kings and lord of lords and you would say to him right now jesus thank you for loving me so much that you would go to the cross and die for my sin you paid the price that was mine to pay you took my place you died for my sin you rose again the third day you conquered death now you offer me eternal life and the very best that I know how, Jesus, right now, I choose you. I trust you by faith. I make you King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, I thank you. I saw a few hands that went up, and what a joy and a privilege it is to know that your word has worked in their heart today. Jesus, thank you for keeping your promise you said if anybody would call on your name that they would be saved and that's a promise you've made to all who call and we thank you for those who have called on your name today trusted you as king of kings and lord of lords we surrender our dysfunction our hurt our pain our triggers our trials our troubles we bring all those things to you and know that that they're redeemable and resurrectable through the power of jesus christ so father i pray that as these who raised their hand have made a commitment to faith today, Lord, I pray that if at all possible, part of you would continue to be a part of their spiritual journey. 
where they could grow in Christ, where they could learn more about you, where together we would just be on this spiritual journey seeking to honor and glorify you with our lives. I thank you for those who trusted you last night as Savior and again here in this 9 o'clock hour. We give you glory and we celebrate with the heavenly host over the decisions of faith that have been made. May your best and your blessings rest upon those who have trusted you as Savior. In your name we pray and all God's people said, Amen.